What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but forfeited his own soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And you think about all the things that you were just talking about, that man's trying to live for, that man's trying to find satisfaction, and that man's trying to find their completion in, and it's all fleeting. You can look at the greatest athletes in the world, the president, anybody, you know, politicians, whoever, kings, queens, kingdoms come, kingdoms go. But no one's ever truly satisfied. You can find movie stars who are like, there's got to be more. Rock stars, there's got to be more. But there is. It's just in the eternal. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Glad you could stop by today. I want to introduce you to Danny Ford. I met Danny a few years ago as he was investing in discipleship in my youngest son, Joel. That relationship has developed over the years. You know, it's kind of neat how relationships sometimes with others will pull you into fellowship or pull you into that relationship, too. And that's what happened when uh, Joel met Danny. I got a chance to meet Danny and find out about what God was doing in his life. He was leading worship and also doing ministry at our church. God brought this uh, incredible lady into his life, Corey. They got married, and I got to actually help assist my son do your photos. That's right. It's your wedding. Mm-hmm. And how many years now has that been, Danny? Four. Believe it or not, four it's years. been four years. Four years and two children. Four years and two children. <laughs> so it feels like an eternity at this point because two little kids under three. That's woo. But yeah, it, I, it feels like it was yesterday. You yeah. know, like I can still see you taking the pictures with Joel and us running around. It was such a blur. But I, you know, I think that's a fond memory of our wedding. Actually, is you two just stepping in and, and blessing us. Well, that was a, a beautiful occasion. And it really is when two people who have a love for each other, but more importantly, have a love for Jesus. Mm, yeah. He's that third cord that ties it all together. Yeah, absolutely. And makes this beautiful union. But I remember that the ceremony was really a wonderful time of giving him the glory, mm. but also celebrating the union that was coming together, you know? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I'm biased. It was my <laughs> wedding. But, you know, God gifted me with an amazing wife and when I met her, it, it literally changed everything about me because I had my calling, right, in life. But then she had her calling, and somehow together God just merged us and merged our hearts and merged our, our focus. And honestly, I'm a better man because of it. So how did you guys first meet? So ironically, <laughs> I was doing a Bible study, and back in the day at High Point, there was the mega girls group, and then there was this peon little guys group that I was kind (laughs) of leading and I could never quite get as many guys as the girls but we decided to merge one night and do a worship night and I was leading worship and I saw her and I was like I've got to talk to this girl the whole night I'm trying to wrap up and I'm getting stopped and I can't see her and so I leave kind of bummed out really because I never got to talk to her two days later we had a service for the college students And I literally backed into her and I said, hey, I know you, but I don't know you, but I want to know you. And the rest is history. (laughs) It was great that she reciprocated. Yeah, well, she's a very kind person, so I'm glad that she did. (laughs) Memphis is home originally. You grew up here in the city. Tell me about your folks and what family life was like for you growing up. Yeah, so I grew up in a Christian home. I'm so happy to say that, you know, that I had parents who loved Jesus, loved us. I would never say we had a perfect home or anything. I don't think that exists. You know, we have a world of flesh and sin and desire, but I had parents who positioned us to see Jesus, and I'll always be so grateful, you know. Grew up going to Bellevue under Adrian Rogers, which was such a blessing. I don't think I realized as a kid how amazing that was, but now being a pastor myself and just hearing his sermons on repeat, I'm like, how did I not 
treasure him more than I did. Like I always knew he was great and what God was using him to teach us was great, but sometimes you have to lose something amazing to really see the value in it. And so growing up, definitely was taught a lot about Jesus, was pointed towards Jesus. My mom was one of 12, so all her brothers and sisters are Christians. And so they were trying to get us crazy little cousins to go to church and focus, but definitely grew up with a home that said, let's make much of Jesus. So was the faith baton received right away for you? Uh, What was the age point when you saw your need for Christ, or how did Jesus really become, you know, not just a thing going to church and and hearing, singing songs about, but you began a relationship? Yeah, so young, I was seven when I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I knew that I was a sinner, but I didn't quite understand when I was younger what that fully meant. And, And I don't know that I fully understand that today. You know, the gravity of our sin and the separation with God. The best I could at seven, I said, I'm going to place my faith in Jesus. I lived with a lot of fear as a child. I remember that. That was one of the themes of my young childhood. I was always afraid if I died, what would happen to me? Because I went to church. I had parents who would say, you know, apart from Christ, there is no eternal life. Apart from Jesus, there's no salvation. He's the bread of heaven. You know, he's eternal life. That made me nervous because I was like, why? I get that. But if I'm a sinner and that separates me from God, like, that's dangerous. And it made me actually very fearful. But that fear turned into faith, which changed my life. And so one night it was storming real bad. Again, I got scared and went and talked to my aunt. I was with her. And she said, well, you know that if anything happened, if you were in Christ, you would go to be with him in heaven, or if he returned, you would be okay. And that was the first time I understood that if I actually placed my faith in Jesus, that I didn't have to fear death, I didn't have to fear life, I didn't have to fear his return, but I could actually rejoice and have a peace. And so that was the beginning of this journey at the age of seven with Jesus, that he is now every day revealing himself more and more to me. Which has taken you all the way to Delaware, where you are the student pastor at Lifehouse Church in Middletown, Delaware. Yes, absolutely. Crazy journey. Never, ever, ever did I think I would end up in Delaware. In fact, the running joke is Delaware, question mark. How did we get here? How did God see it? But God makes no mistakes. You know, I'm so blessed to serve. And and one of my roles is college, but I kind of oversee our whole what we call Generation Now ministry. We don't believe that, you know, they're the future generation. We believe when you get saved that God wants to use you today. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day of obedience. When we step into a relationship with Jesus, what we want to do is cultivate relationships with students who are beginning to take those journey steps with Jesus and say, hey, you don't wait till you're 18. You don't wait till you're 25. You don't wait till you're 50. Today, there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. When God comes to live inside of you, you are now a son and daughter of Christ, and it is time to get on the mission field. And so we're trying to train up a generation that says, here am I, send me. Oh, Danny, I love that. And, you know, we have these categories, people groups and demographics, like I'm part of the the baby boomer generation. Gen Y or millennials, which is where you would fall Mm -hmm. in, born between 1981, 1994, 96, between 25 and 40 years old right now, 72.1 million in the U.S. Wow. The characteristics of this age demographic values meaningful motivation, challenges the status quo, places importance on relationship with superiors, intuitive knowledge of technology, open and adaptive to change, places an importance on task rather than time, 
passion for learning. Mm. A recent Los Angeles Times article by Jessica Roy explores how millennials, Gen Z, and younger Gen Xers are replacing formal religion with practices such as tarot, astrology, meditation, energy healing, and Mm. crystals. And then a Pew Research survey published back in November of 2015 revealed that millennials are less attracted to organized religion than their parents or grandparents were at the same age, Hmm. with only about 40% saying religion is very important in their lives. However, that same survey revealed about 80% of millennials believe in God, and increasing numbers identify with statements like, I feel a deep sense of spiritual peace and well-being, or I experience a deep sense of wonder about the universe. Hmm. Do you see these stats in, in, in reality living out among those that you minister to? Yeah, well, I do. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about giving truth, right? So Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Not just for heaven, but for today. He's our direction. He's our way. You know, his word is a lamp into our feet and light into our path. And what I've seen is that students and young adults and college age people as well, they're looking for truth. Now, they may look for it in the worldly things you just mentioned. They may look for it in meaningful relationships. They may look for it in the way in which they work or social media, whatever they can get a tangible feeling of, oh, this satisfies me. But what they're really looking for is Jesus. And what I've seen is those stats seem to be true. What they really want is something deeper. And what can the church do? Because if they're not interested in organized religion like their parents and grandparents, What can the church do differently to impact this demographic? Well, so I think what we're trying to do, I'll speak into that, you know, and then as the church as a whole, I think, could do this. We are trying to be relational. People don't care what you know until they know you care. That's an old saying. We all know that to be true, though. And really, people aren't looking for religion because religion can't save you. Religion can't give you, you know, the tangible truths you need to live out the Christian faith or to live out life. Take even just what we're trying to talk about on a daily basis away. Apart from Jesus, you have no life. And so what people need is a real relationship with him. I always try to point people not so much to the theologies of the church, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I try to point them to the person of Christ. Because when you meet Jesus, that changes everything. And people aren't looking for a temporary feeling of happiness. They're looking for eternal joy. And that's why the search goes from, the tarot cards, to make me feel good sermons, or even to the books of self-help and life coach and all that. That happens because there's this inner struggle for something deeper that can only be found in a real relationship with Jesus. Not a head knowledge of Jesus, not a tipping your hat to Jesus, but a daily walk with him. And so what I try to do is not point people to the church itself, not that there's anything wrong with looking at the body of Christ. We're his vessel. But I try to point him to the person of Christ, the Jesus of the Bible. Was it Voltaire that said that there is a God-shaped vacuum in all of us that can only be filled by God? Aside from the demographics of Gen Y or millennials, the human race has this vacuum that it's trying to fill with everything but the presence of God. Yeah, and I think that's because we've been so deceived since the garden. We know that story. We know in the beginning how man was deceived by Satan, and ultimately our eyes were blinded to truth. And now we have this God complex where we're trying to figure out, well, who is God and what is God? But there's this, well, where's the truth lie? You know, even Pilate with Jesus before him said, what is truth, right? So there's this void in man. But what I try to do is say, you need Jesus specifically, 
Because a lot of people will point you to a lot of things, even good things, right? Go read the Bible. Well, that's great, but if you don't know Jesus, the Bible's not going to mean anything to you. Now, I'm not saying God can't use it, but reality is we need to point people to the actual God of the Bible and how he saves, what he stands for, what he wants for us. And and what I see all the time, Byron, is that there are people who want a little bit of religion to feel good, but they don't want a sacrifice of allegiance to Jesus. And yes. apart from that complete surrender to Jesus, there is no fulfillment. When we come to the cross, we come and die. Yeah. And that's where the fulfillment comes. But no one wants to give up everything. People want to gain everything. But our dynamic in our culture says you just take but in order to receive Christ, we must give up all that we are to receive all that he is. And Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross. And follow me. Yeah. Boy, and that's the thing we don't want to do. I mean, crucify self. But, you know, it says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Right. It's you know, Christ it's, within me. Yeah. What are some truths from God's word that you've been pondering lately? Yeah, so... I love the words of Jesus. Accuse me of this. I'm a big Jesus guy because he's the one who changed my life, you know? And I love when I read the very words he spoke on the planet. When Jesus said things like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, we need to press into that, you know? And what I do with students is I go, do you understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying? He's not saying there's another option for eternal life. There's not another option to heaven. There's not another option for the satisfaction of your soul. It starts with him. And so that is something that I love to point students to. But also, Jesus said something so profound. It always rocks me. And I think about it daily when he said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but forfeited his own soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And you think about all the things that you were just talking about, that man's trying to live for, that man's trying to find satisfaction in, that man's trying to find their completion in, and it's all fleeting. You can look at the greatest athletes in the world, the president, anybody, you know, politicians, whoever, kings, queens, kingdoms come, kingdoms go, but no one's ever truly satisfied. You can find movie stars who are like, there's got to be more, rock stars, there's got to be more, but there is, it's just in the eternal. And so- I think we got to get out of this idea that we add Jesus to our life. And this is something I've been thinking about when I see the words of Christ. We're not asking Jesus to come and live inside of us. What we're actually doing is stepping into the life that he's giving, right? We're dead men. And we think, oh, God, you come in and I'll be in control of this relationship. And then you can be my genie in a bottle, right? I'm going to say, God, I need you today, but I'm okay for the next three hours. See you this afternoon. That's not how it works. When we come to Jesus, it's exactly what you said, that we come to die. And what would it profit us if all we have was some religion, but we never had Jesus? I think that's why he says many on the day of judgment will say, Lord, Lord, did I not? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never need you. And so for me, it's like, I think so much on the words that Jesus says, and I go, if he says it, shouldn't we just stop and think, hmm, this is something we should apply to our life? And I think often we're guilty, I know I am, of just hearing the words of Jesus and going, yeah, but maybe he doesn't really mean that, right? Like, maybe he's okay if I just kind of do it a little bit, but kind of do it my way too. Yeah, yeah. He's like, no, you're going to submit to me. So when Jesus says things like, what would it profit a man? I go, you know what? 
what am I living for? Because that will get you to stop and go, yeah. am I making the most of today? Yeah. Or am I living for things that are fleeting, that will burn? Even if I'm saved on the day of judgment because of the blood of Jesus, praise God for that. I don't want to see my life burn away as like wood and hay and stubble. Yeah. And I don't want to pass by as with, through flames, yeah. you know, with smoke on me. I don't want to come into heaven smoky, right? Yeah, yeah. I want to come into heaven going, man, the glory of God is, is rolling off of me, because not because of who I am, but because of who Christ, Christ. is in me. You know, I was waking up uh, recently, and like I do at my age, uh, two or three o'clock in the morning. You know, and I've <laughs> learned to turn those times of frustration into moments of prayer and mm, that's asking awesome. God, "How can, you know, what do you want me to pray for, God? Who do I pray for?" You know, I was thinking about some fears I had about some things. This verse out of Psalm twenty-three, you know, we've read many, mm. many times. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. And I just kept reflecting on that: I shall not want. Mm. It's because. He's my shepherd. He takes care of me. Why can't I rest in the fact that he's my shepherd? Mm. Any want I would want (laughs) is not going to really satisfy me like what he's going to provide and make available to me. Well, and I think to your point, what you see in that passage is in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. And then as he goes on, you know, you have this moment where you hear my cup overflows. What does that mean? God is not done having fellowship with me. He satisfies me. He sustains me. You know, in that culture, you sit down to eat and drink with people. And as long as your drink was being full, admit you can stay and dine with me. But the minute they stopped filling up your cup, it was your cue to kind of head home, right? (laughs) What the psalmist is saying is my cup overflows. God never is done with me. He always wants me in his presence. And in his presence is the fullness of joy. And so we find this satisfaction in Jesus from the invitation of Jesus to taste and see that he's wow, good. Danny, the very thing we're craving, ours as believers, yeah. we overlook and try to find it's got to be something else. Right. But he is our satisfaction. He is. And that's why I want to point people to Jesus. Because when I did religion and it was more of a task-oriented faith, where it's like, I have to do this. I can't do this. I, I must do this on a daily basis. You find yourself in a spiritual roller coaster of up and down and all around. And one day you feel like you're really good. And the next day you're like, I don't even know what's wrong with my faith. Our faith doesn't rest in man's ability to follow Christ. It rests in our relationship, just dining with him, enjoying him. You know, Jesus said to the disciples who I call the boys all the time when I preach, he looks at the boys and he says, as he's praying to the Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Because when you get in God's word and you get at his table, God speaks. And when he speaks, he satisfies. That's all we need. And that's why like, when we hear these things about millennials or the church, and what does the church need to do? Point people to Jesus. Point people to sit at a table like we're sitting at and simply enjoy all the benefits of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. That's what we need more of. Instead of saying, add Jesus to your life. No, lay down your life. Step into the life he's offering and enjoy the presence of God. That would change everything. Yeah, People don't want what we don't want. You know, and if we act like we want Jesus, but we never spend time with him, why would somebody who sees us want what we don't want? You know, and so I'm constantly challenging people to go back to your question. Look at the words of Jesus and look at the invitation of Jesus. He's so good. He said, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. In his presence is the fullness of joy. If we don't get in his presence, we miss the purpose of life. We miss the purpose. Oh, Danny, that is so good. So what does a week look like between Sundays for a student pastor? So for this student pastor, it's crazy (laughs) because I do a little bit of everything at our church, which I love. Okay, No week's the same. 
pretty much Monday morning, I go in and it's meetings with people, it's meetings with students, it's meetings with parents, it's discipleship, it's full on. So everybody thinks, okay, you're a pastor, so you must preach and do nothing all week. No, we work all week, 24 7, 365. You're never off call. For me, it's who needs me. I want to be known. Actually, Craig Gergo, who was at High Point and is now in Pittsburgh as a pastor, taught me this, and I've kind of carried this mantra from him. I want to be known as the people's pastor. Where are you going to find Pastor Danny? Where the people are. If I'm not with people, then I'm failing. So my week is geared around who needs me, who wants to meet, who can I pour into, and I try to devote my day to being with people. Now, there are things I have to do. There's office work I have to get done. There's emails that need to go out. We're about to go to summer camp, so I'm working up all the devotions and all the curriculum. And Balance the and family responsibilities. Balance and family responsibilities and preparing messages. I preach every week, multiple times a week. And so between college night and LSM, which is our Lifehouse student ministry, and even some Sunday mornings, I'm preaching a lot. So it's developing materials for people to take. It's developing sermons. But really, the core of my ministry is that personal touch. And my goal is to spend so much time with people in such a way that they feel like when they talk to me, they just spent time with Jesus, not because I'm Jesus, but because the Holy Spirit is in our conversation. And my prayer is that those God interactions from spirit to spirit change people's lives. And so instead of being this guy who's like, I'm going to sit in the office and just write emails, I'll do that. I do what I have to do, but I work double hard so I can invest in people. I feel like the best pastors are people pastors. What are you seeing God do in the lives of the students that you're ministering to? So it's been amazing. When I got there, there was a lot of students who just didn't really quite understand what it meant to live out their faith. Maybe they knew who Jesus was. Maybe they were following him. Maybe they weren't. But what we've seen is the ripples of revival. Now, we haven't seen the tsunami of revival that I believe is coming, but we've seen the ripples of revival where people are starting to go, it isn't about me. It's about him. My life isn't even about me. It's about his worship like we were just talking about, and it's about making him known, going into all creation and preaching the gospel. So what I'm seeing in our student ministry is this awakening is what I call it, where students are starting to go, oh, my goodness, this isn't about religion, what we started with. This is about knowing Christ. Every week, the altar's full. Students are going down praying. Students are going down on their knees weeping. And it's not because my preaching, right? It's not because my gifting. It's because the Word of God changes lives. And we're intentional to give them the Word of God. But what we've seen is students go from these casual Christians of, this is what I'm supposed to do, to, no, I need to take what I'm doing in here and bring it to the streets and proclaim the gospel. And and this is something tangible, like knowing Jesus isn't a story, it's a reality. We're reading biographies, but we're a part of it. And I think that's what we're really seeing is an awakening to the reality that Christ is who he says he is, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, and he wants to use us today. And that's amazing to me. Oh, that's got to fuel you. That's so exciting to hear those stories. Well, how can parents build better communication bridges with their students who may seem distant and not interested in family life at all. So love, it's the answer to everything. If you genuinely care about your kids, and I tell parents this all the time, invest in them, give them extra time. If they don't want to spend time with you, do it anyway. Be that annoying parent who comes in and hugs them and they're like, get off me. (laughs) I guarantee later when you speak to them, they're going to go, even though it's uncomfortable or I don't like it because I'm a teenager, why are they hugging me? They're going to feel that embrace and they're going to be more receptive of what you have to say also living out what you're trying to get the students to do. 
I have this dynamic I see where a lot of parents are like, you need to go to church and be this, but you're not doing that. So why would I do that if I'm your child? So I encourage parents, model your faith. Get up and read the Word of God. Do it in a place that's private enough for you to focus, but public enough for your students and your children to see what you're doing and model that. And that example should be ever before us. You know, and if they yeah. don't want to be a part of it, you can at least present it by the way you do it, and they'll see it. So. Yeah, I love that. What are some ways God has really blessed your family since going to Delaware? I have some godly people that I would not know that have changed my life. Mark Lacey, our senior pastor, who he really cares. Like, I'm here right now, right, because I'm doing staff development. He cares about my well-being. He cares that I grow. He cares that my family's provided for, taken care of. And one of the things that the church does is they say, we want to take care of you in such a way that your family doesn't have to worry. So it frees you to do ministry. I've never been a part of a ministry where it was like, we're going to take care of you financially. We're going to take care of you emotionally. We're going to support you and be your friends. Like, I've had We'll give you some money and help some, or you know, maybe if you really need us, call. But they do life with us, and we all live fairly close to each other. And so we're this network of family who then goes and serves together, which is how Christ intended it to be. So I would say that. And then just being in a new area has changed my life because growing up as a Memphis kid, you know Memphis really well. You're a Southern boy. I'm a Southern boy. And these people don't understand me. Like I love them, but they don't get why I love them, you know? And sometimes that works to my advantage. Sometimes it doesn't. But I would say moving changed my life because it created a greater dependency, not only for God, but for Corey and I to say, we have to have each other's back. If we don't encourage one another, we're not going to be able to do this. And my wife's faithful. She serves in the trenches with me. And I think my marriage is better because God sent me there. He's grown me as a husband. He's grown me as a father. Because when all you got is your church staff family and then your physical family, that's not a lot. <laughs> it feels good to have, but going from Memphis and knowing everyone to yeah. going to a small community, it's different. But it changed my life because my wife and I are now super close, yeah, and she's yeah. missing me like crazy. I miss her like crazy because we do life together, you know? And God sent us, and he's using us, but he sent us in a way that's like, hey, if you don't do it together, you, you won't make it. Danny Ford, your love for Jesus is contagious. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Now, if friends listening want to know more about your ministry, do you blog? Do you have a podcast? Any way on social media they can learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, so we have a student ministry website. It's just lifehousestudents.com. You can always check out stuff that we're doing. Tell your friends because I believe that there's so much that God is doing that might just impact people if we just let people know hey, this is what's going on in the Northeast. And it's kind of cool to just be able to see how God uses his body across the country. It's so exciting. Danny, God bless you, my brother. Thank you for what you're allowing Christ to do through you and Corey for his kingdom, for his glory. Mm. Thanks for sharing with us today. Thank you, Byron. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.